The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. All right. It's that time. Another special edition episode, Scott. Should we just start... We'll start calling it the show. I mean, at a certain point, if they're all special, it's just the show. This one's pretty special. Emergency meeting of the Sour Hour Brain Trust. But I get to give you all credit. You set this whole thing up. Yeah, the first show of this I, I've produced. I got to admit, I like just hosting better, so can, you can keep producing from now on. <laughs> well, this is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay Goodwin from the Rare Barrel. Um, we are not at the BN World Headquarters in downtown Concord. We're actually in... Uh, Santa Rosa, California, and you may guess where we are. We're actually at the Russian River Brewing Company's Taste Room at the Production Brewery. Uh, it's great to be back here. I think the last time I was here was that poster back there, which was uh, a nice, I don't know, meeting of the minds. It was What was it, Vinny, a CBC? What, what was the event? Yeah, so it was the uh, Sour Beer Symposium the day before the Craft Brewers Conference in San Francisco, and the idea was to bring together uh, like-minded uh, American producers of sour barrel age beers and it just so happened that jean van roy was our guest of honor uh that that day as well along with uh jean and our friend uh, yvonne de bates from de la Seine brewery and really the idea then was just to there was a there's a lot of new players in the funky beer world in in america and the idea was to get everyone together to share their ideas and hopefully help those younger brewers advance and and all make good funky beer because, you know, unlike pale ale, if someone has a bad pale ale, they, okay, they'll probably have another pale ale someday. But if someone has a bad, you know, barrel-aged, sour, funky beer, they may not come back to it because it's such extreme flavors. So hopefully that helped uh, bring the elder statesmen with the young guys together. I got to say, it absolutely did for me. Uh, you know, I was a young brewer at the brewery down in Orange County, and that's exactly what it did. And that's what we're trying to do on the show too here but uh so you obviously heard uh our host today Vinny Trilerzo the owner and brewmaster of Russian River Brewing Company thanks for having us so much of course and the reason we're here in the first place is because we're here to talk to uh the main blenders of the wild friendship blend American version um so also here we have Jean Van Roy the owner brewer and blender at Cantillon how's it going John Fine. Wait, John. I, I, cause I, <laughs> John, I think I screwed this up when you were on the session uh, it, pronouncing your name. So am I screwing it up saying Jean Van Roy, or are they screwing it up saying Jean Van Roy? Both are, f- uh, are both, wrong. Both it's wrong. Uh, Jean, Jean Van Roy. But, uh, but I understand. It's not a problem. Okay. Jean Van Roy? It's better. Better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, say Pertanomyces. Uh, it sounds so much better. I like that better, It sounds too. so much better when, the, when the Belgians French, say In French, we say more Bretonomices. Bretonomices. Wow, such a beautiful language. And then English, Brett. Brett. <laughs> you have to shout it, yeah. And then also we have here two people with, I don't know, maybe an East Coast accent. We have uh, Rob Todd and Jason, Jason Perkins, Perkins from Allagash Brewing. You know, the top two brewing minds at uh, Allagash. And I have to say, I'm a little starstruck seeing you guys. I know... Uh, 
Alex, who's also here, uh, co-founder at the Rare Barrel. One of the beers that got us both in the craft beer was Allagash White, of course. And uh, yeah, this is just like being here for the symposium. I'm a little bit nervous, a little bit starstruck, but at the end of the day, hopefully uh, learning more from you guys. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Guess well, you. now you're one of the stars, though, Jay. What, what about you guys? You, you starstruck in Jay's presence? I, my, <laughs> my hand is, like, shaking pretty bad So right is now. Vinny's, though. I mean, you you know, your beer's pretty good, Jay. <laughs> As I said before we went on, the reason that Allagash and Russian River are here is still unknown. We're here because Jean is here. That's the truth. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's great, a great honor to have all you guys. Um, but yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about why we're here. So uh, you know, we're recording this. It's the sixth, and tomorrow is going to be the American debut of the Wild Friendship Blend over at the pub at Russian River. Um, what's that going to look like tomorrow, Vinny? Yeah, so we're shutting down the pub on uh, on Thursday, and uh, which I guess that's that May seventh. Yeah, and it'll be the first time we've ever shut down the pub during the day. We don't ever do you know, food like this. So it's a totally different, uh, uh, setup for us. It'll be a paired, uh, each, each, uh, food dish will have two or three beers, uh, paired with it. And, um, uh, of course the wild friendship blend will be the, the center attraction, but we've got multiple Allagash beers, multiple Cantillon beers. And then after the, uh, private sit down lunch, um, we'll open the pub back up and have, all the beers that are on, all the Cantillon beers on tap available to the general public is additional Allagash beer. And then some uh, Wild Friendship blend will uh, pour by the glass. Um, the thing about this beer is the Wild Friendship blend is we all agreed at the beginning of this that no bottles would be sold uh, to consumers to go. This is an, an all on premise uh, beer, and that's how it was in Belgium. Uh, last year at the event uh, at Cantillon and how we'll um, do it at Russian River and Allagash. We have a event out there on Saturday. So, and it's probably, it's probably worth having Jean talk about the idea of this blend to begin with because it, it was Jean coming to Allagash and Russian River and asking if, uh, if we'd like to blend our spontaneous beers uh, together. And, um, you yeah, know. Jean, is that how it all started? Or tell, tell us a little bit the, the story about the first version the, of this plan. The, the, stories, the, the story began in 98 when, we, when my, my father um, decided to, to, uh, to, to invent the, the quintessence to promote, uh, to promote the Lambic beers. Uh, because in the 90s, Lambic had... It was the beginning of the, 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 the success of the, 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 the Lambic, the new success for Lambic. And uh, in 98, to face the 20th anniversary of the Brussels Goose Museum, my father um, wanted to, to give the, uh, the, the opportunity to the, uh, the visitors to taste all the beers, all the beers of Cantillon, and all the beers paired with, uh, paired with uh, uh, food coming from Brussels, so Brussels specialties or uh, uh, food, the, the right pairing between food and, uh, and beer. And it was a big success. And uh, three years ago, um, I did it for the first time with a guest. Uh, I invited three, uh, three uh, Italian breweries, but uh, each one with his own beers. And when I had the idea to do it with uh, my American friends, naturally, uh, my, my, my talk go immediately to the, the, the producers of spontaneous fermentation beer, uh, Rob, Jason, Vinny. And uh, to to do something together, 
uh, not to produce a new beer. It's simply to uh, yes, the 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 beer uh, have the right name. I think friendship. It's it was something in my idea to to produce something together, friends uh, with with beers uh, uh, close together. All beers from from, uh, from spontaneous fermentation, and uh, the the result was uh, very nice. Awesome. And then even going one more step back, Rob and Jason, how did you guys meet John in the first place? Can you tell a little bit about the genesis of that? Well, I actually think I met John the first time during my honeymoon in Belgium. I actually dragged my wife over there for our honeymoon instead of going to the to the Bahamas and sitting on the beach. I, I brought her over to Belgium and we toured breweries. So she was she was nice to put up with that. And that was my first time ever visiting Cantillon. Uh, it was a, it was an amazing experience to see it uh, for the first time, and I think I've been back there easily a dozen times, and oh, I yeah. it, it's still an amazing <laughs> place every single time I go. But I I I'm pretty sure I met John on that first on that first trip, and then I've been back a number of times. And uh, one of the visits about two years ago, uh, John and I were talking a little about a, a little bit about the quintessence and. Am I pronouncing that right, quintessence? Yeah, nice. Okay. Uh, nice. So <laughs> we were talking a little bit about the quintessence, and he, he kind of floated out the idea, geez, w- would you like to uh, team up with, with Cantillon and Vinny at Russian River and do a blend? And I, it didn't take me too long to, to say, you know, absolutely, just tell me, just tell me when you want me here. And um, we'd, we'd love to be able to have the opportunity to do it. So we got pretty excited about it um, right off the bat. And that, I mean, probably we started talking about this two or three years ago almost, the first time. Uh, I think so. The, yeah. the the quintessence took place last year, 1st of May. Uh, I made the blend in December 13. And so, yes, I suppose we we talked about uh, one year ago. So, uh, yeah, it was maybe December and, and, 12 and, or so. And December 12 or early, early 13, yeah. Mm. yeah. And when you were doing the blend in December of uh, 13, and you were tasting the different spontaneous components. Did you see any of your beer in theirs? What, how can you can compare and contrast the flavors? It, it was something new for me because when you blend your own beer, uh, you, you know your product, you, you, you feel it. Uh, when you have to blend, and it was uh, a premiere for me, when you blend beers uh, you don't know or you don't know good enough, it's it's different, and uh, the the difficulties for my blend was that uh, Rob and Vinny sent me both uh, old beer. If I remember, mm-hmm. you sent me at two years, and you at three years. Vinny at three years old, and Rob at two years old. If I remember, uh, Jason's probably the best. Yeah, best I think one it was around question. two and a half to be precise. Two, two and a half, two and a half, yeah. Um, and as you know, normally for a blend, uh, we are using one, two, and three years old. So mm-hmm. uh, I did the same. I took a three years old uh, Lambic beer. And uh, both beer coming from the uh, U.S. were beers with character, a lot of character. Mm-hmm. And I choose for uh, my Lambic, I choose a Lambic uh, with more, <coughs> more softness, more mellowness to, to give the right to try to give the right balance to the to the blend, and I think it's a for me it's a success. And the the more pronounced character of the American spontaneous beers, would you describe that as 
an acidity type of character? Uh, a bit or? more, a bit more, a uh, bit more acidic, a uh, mm-hmm. bit more breathy for the for the the, the one the one from uh, Russian River. <laughs> uh, yeah, so something different than than the beer I I produce and I uh, I, I have in the brewery. Yeah, yeah awesome. it's it's ho- it's hard to put into words for me, but I, I really can taste all three breweries in this beer. Yeah, and by the way, we passed around the bottle of that first blend, and so we cracked yeah. it open and pretty crazy to be here tasting it with these guys and kind of reliving this whole experience but keep, keep going Rob. Yeah, I, I was I was so pleased when I tasted this beer for the first time and as I, as I mentioned I, I really do feel like you can taste some character out of each of the out of each of the three breweries it's a really nice balance you agree with that Vinny can you taste yep. I mean you raised your hand when you uh, uh, because I knew ours strength. at the time especially we've we've honed in our spontaneous uh, fermentation since then but we had to pull, you know, older beer to send to Belgium for Jean to blend. So, um, so I knew that ours was going to probably be the most, you know, acidic of the of the bunch. And we've we've worked really hard to soften the acidity of ours, and and I think we're successful in that, especially as we if we have time to taste the next batch of beatification. But Synambic, our what we call our American lambic to honor the Belgians and not use the lambic It was a good thing because we need those type of beer in the blend. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's another part of the story too was uh, next year will be the 10-year anniversary of of a trip that ended up probably being the the beginning of both Allagash and Russian River spontaneously fermenting. And this was a trip that uh, Sam Calgione had set up from Dogfish. And it was Sam from Dogfish, Adam Avery from Avery Brewery, Tommy Arthur from Lost Abbey, Rob and myself. And it was in it was a part of Sam's book that he was writing at the time. So he had us uh, write a journal. Uh, he brought a photographer, uh, this guy Kevin Fleming, who's another Delaware guy, amazing photographer, and uh, great, great stories. He, in fact, the trip wouldn't wouldn't have been what it was without Kevin. But we we did a whole event at at Cantillon, and we each poured a couple of our beers during during a public brewing session. Yeah, during a public <laughs> brewing session as well, and 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 it was amazing. And and I still remember uh, all of us talking to to Jean and his dad about spontaneously fermenting beer. And Jean said to me, and I've I've always I, I tell people this all the time that Jean said you can spontaneously ferment anywhere in the world. It just may not be the same way that we do it in Belgium. And I think we all came back really craving to spontaneously ferment you know rob put a a cool ship in um you know we came up with a process at the time that was non-traditional we've we've since put a horny tank in now that we've rearranged one of our barrel rooms but that trip was i think instrumental in at least for us at russian river and i think rob and jason would would say the same for allagash yeah, no doubt, and and I remember when when John said that you know you can make these beers anywhere, and I was struck because <laughs> I really grew up in the beer business. I mean, I had spent I had been in the beer business for over a dozen years at that point, and I'd always been told you can only make these beers in Brussels in the Seine Valley area. It's the only place you can make them, and I'd n- never even considered making these beers stateside. And uh, ever since you said that, I kind of I dwelled on it for I did too. about a year or so and I woke up I, I literally remember it like it was yesterday I woke up one August day in 07 and I went into the brewery and I said to Jason I was like can I use a bad language on this on this show yeah I, I think I said fuck it we're putting in a cool ship <laughs> so, and I called the fabrication company and said we just basically built this thing and 
kind of scrambled to get it put together and then uh Jason reached out to Jean and and Jean was very very helpful in us getting this thing kind of off the ground process wise so you can even go through like big changes like you guys did how did you go from the fuck it day to all that implementation well I was just gonna say I I remember that like that was yesterday as well and um I wasn't sure you were totally serious when you first came (laughs) in and said that I mean we'd kind of been bouncing around the idea of, of fooling around with some of that stuff, but I never thought it would be, be a reality. I mean, for us, it was a big leap to go from not doing anything to building a structure, building a room, building a cool ship room, getting a cool ship in there. And like Rob said, it was August that he came in and said that, and I think we brewed for the first time in that November. So everything happened very quickly uh, that fall, and it really was a good two years before we had any kind of idea that things would turn out the way that they did. So, I mean, we really called the whole thing an experiment for at least three years because it just it took that long to build stock and get, get something that we could actually blend with. And uh, early on, you know, we were happy to see fermentation and happy to see development, but we didn't know what kind of flavor we'd have in the end. It was several years before that came, so... Uh, Certainly very happy with where it ended up. Yeah. I, I came back with flying home. Tommy and I had a flight all the way back from uh, from Brussels to San Francisco, and then Tommy caught a flight down to uh, San Diego. And he and I concocted this idea on the plane to um, – so although it was fermenting in my head even after that, most of what we came up with was immediate, was to use our mash tun as a horny tank. And, and that's what we did, and that's how we started to spontaneously ferment. We did a sour mash overnight. Uh, the next day ran off uh, to the kettle, did the boil. We, we pulled all the grain out of the mash tun, um, you know, rinsed it and all, and then we sent the wort back to the uh, mash tun, used it as a horny tank. And I've done presentations for home brewers and whatnot for this and went in warmer. I, my thought was, so when you go to uh, take food you know, handling training in California, they give you that red zone where your food shouldn't be at temperature because that's where bacteria grows. So I said, well, shit, <laughs> that's the temperature we should be at. So I, we pumped the wart back and um, sent it in, and that was on a Saturday. I came in Sunday morning, and it must have been a little too warm because there were so many bugs in the uh, – in the mash tun because we had a full Kreuzen fermentation going in our mash wow. tun. <laughs> and, and then we honed it in and worked it over a few years, and then eventually we put a, a, a horny tank in, which we have at our pub now. That's awesome. I mean, we have so much experience here with, uh, you know, relatively newer spontaneous fermentation programs. And what I want to do next segment is kind of get in to each part of the process and see where you guys compare and contrast your different methods. I think there's a lot of similarities, but also some important differences there. Um, but I mean, even at Cantillon, uh, Jean, you know, there's still, even though you've been doing it for over a hundred years, you go through these, uh, changes, maybe they're not going from zero to a full spontaneous program, but you guys have just started to move into a new facility now. That's right. It's not only for the, the storage. So, uh, we've, we have only one brewery and we continue to use only this one. So the, the, the goal, the, the goal is to, is to, to brew more in the, can I call it the the the, the model building uh, and to move the the world in the the new building to fill up the the wooden barrels and so the the the, the, the new building will be uh, will be able only to uh, to 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 for storage and for beer maturation and I know it's early it's only been one uh, one brewing season but I think you got twelve more brews 
this season? Uh, uh, ten, ten forests, yes. Uh, as you know, it probably we are brewing also for uh, the Tilquin Gueuserie. Mm -hmm. uh, last year, we did one for uh, Tilquin, two for uh, two this, uh, this year. Mm -hmm. And so it means we brewed... Uh, 33 times last year include the one for Tilquin and 44 times this year include the two for Tilquin. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Can we go back to the, I'm just a little hung up on the, uh, these beers can't be made outside Belgium thing. So do you mean like naming, like it can't be called a Lambic or do you mean process? No, no, I, when, 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 when I, I totally agree to help people who want to produce a spontaneous fermentation. If they want to call it Lambic, no that's way. That's a problem. Yeah, right. that's that's for me a big problem. I'm jealous about the name of my beer. But spontaneous fermentation, no problem. Two or three hundred years ago, a lot of beers were beer from spontaneous fermentation. Only one was called lambic. Yeah, we it's we felt pretty strongly right when we started making these beers that we were not <coughs> going to use the word lambic. We just called it spontaneous beer, just out of respect for the Belgian brewers of this of these beers. So but is, is a, that a lot a lot of people. Yeah. Don't produce real spontaneous fermentation beer. Vinnie, Rupp, and Jason are producing real spontaneous fermentation beer, and they are working very well. But some people are producing sour beer, time to time, bad one. Vinnie uh, said it uh, 15 minutes ago about the people, uh, the new, the new people on the yeah, sour market. Yeah, yeah. And because the beer is sour, they call it lambic. So it's not a spontaneous fermentation. It's not a good beer, and they are giving the name of flambic to the to the beer. That, that's a big problem. Yeah. yeah. So we so we came up with this idea, synambic, Sonoma lambic contracted. It's it's playful. It's very clever. But it was still like we very much respect the lambic thing, and we would never call it lambic. And that was a part of the sour beer symposium was getting people like Rob and Jason and 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 Peter Buchart from New Belgium, who also honors the lambic term and wouldn't ever would never use the lambic term on a new belgium label because he honors that tradition and and hopefully lead by example as you know elder statesman of of these types of beers in america i mean it's nothing compared to how long you know jean and his family have been making them but but that, that's why it was important to have them here for that event a few years ago as well so that the young people in the industry could meet people like Jean but and at the time Yvonne had worked at Cantillon yeah. for a little bit and so he understood it so. but there is there is a, a lot of respect uh, for Lambic in US and I don't know maybe a few a few brewery are speaking about Lambic or Goose producing a fake Lambic but the the big problem is coming from Europe and mainly from Belgium maybe that's that's a problem yeah you're more talking about a sweetened uh, not traditional lambic, right? For example, <laughs> <laughs> ooh, you're putting me on the spot. But I'll, you know, hypothetically, a, a lambic that is maybe follows a similar fermentation, but then maybe uh, you know, artif artificially sweetened. Yeah, it's uh, to to today, even with the, the 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 huge success for lambic and the huge demand for traditional lambic uh, in Belgium, ninety nine ninety eight per percent of the 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 beer called Lambic, Goose, Creek of Framboise, so the fruit beers are are industrial one, are fake one. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's uh, it's it's a big problem, and that's also why it's very difficult to try to protect the name if my my colleagues use it to produce also a fake one. It's uh, the fight will be very difficult. Yeah.
it's working well so far. I mean, uh, you know, we started the rare barrel and all we make is sour beer, but that's also all we call it. We call it American sour beer. We have not made a spontaneous beer at all. We don't even call that spontaneous or we're in what Alameda but County. But I think I think you, you you don't need it really. Uh Alagash and Russian River didn't use the the name of Flambic. They have a huge success simply mm -hmm. because the beer is very good. Yes. If you produce something good, you don't you don't have to 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 use another name. You don't have to stole a name. Absolutely. You guys worked hard simply. for it yeah. and you perfected it. And this is a great example that we're <laughs> tasting right now. Let's take a quick break, and then I want to get more into, like I said, that compare and contrasting each of your different approaches to the spontaneous beer, because there are a lot of people out there who want to make this style, and we want to make sure when they do approach that, that they're doing it the right way. So let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Hi, I'm Jamel Zanishef, and in addition to my work on the Brewing Network, I write the style profile column in every issue of Brew Your Own magazine. Hi, I'm Sean Paxton, and when I'm not prepping for the homebrewed chef on the Brewing Network, you can find me writing articles on how to cook with your homebrew for Brew Your Own magazine. Greetings, cretins. This is John Palmer, and when I'm not writing for Brew Your Own, I'm reading it. John Palmer, Sean Paxton, Jamil Zanishef. If you love listening to them on the Brewing Network, you'll love reading their articles, tips, and recipes in the pages of Brew Your Own magazine. Join Jamil, John, and Sean eight times a year in Brew Your Own. And when you subscribe to BYO on the Brewing Network website, half of your subscription price goes right back to the BN to support great beer and food programming. So sign up for Brew Your Own magazine through the BN website today so you can listen and read your way to better homebrew. When I order a beer, I want my server to know more about it than I do. I want someone who enjoys good beer and loves helping others enjoy it, too. I want someone who knows how to pour a perfect pint for every beer style. I want a Cicerone. The Cicerone Certification Program is creating the type of people who help you enjoy great beer. Home brewers and craft beer lovers know beer is more flavorful and complex than ever, and it takes some serious knowledge to store and serve beer right. Cicerones know beer. There are three levels in the Cicerone Program. Certified Beer Server, Certified Cicerone, and Master Cicerone. Cicerones are truly the sommeliers of beer. The best beer locations have a certified Cicerone on staff. Relaxed and unpretentious, Cicerone are tested on storing and serving beer, beer styles, flavor and tasting, the brewing process and ingredients, and pairing food with beer. Learn more about your next beer guide at Cicerone.org. Certified Cicerone, because it takes top talent to present a perfect pint. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer, one that spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, But at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering, but it takes a backseat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers.
the National Homebrew Conference is coming up this summer, and More Beer wants to send you. To celebrate 20 years of serving homebrewers, More Beer is giving away two full pass registrations to the 2015 National Homebrew Conference, June 10th through 13th. That's right, two full passes, full access to all the presentations, club night, and pro brewers night, two seats to the grand banquet and award ceremony, two one-year membership gift cards to the American Homebrewers Association, four-night stay at the beautiful town and country resort, round-trip airfare to and from the San Diego airport, two VIP passes to the Brewing Network Zone anniversary party, a $250 prepaid Visa gift card for food and your other expenses, and dinner with the More Beer crew. Visit morebeer.com for all the details and to enter. You can enter once a day through April 15th, and the winner will be drawn on April 25th. If you've already purchased your registration to the event and seats to the Grand Banquet, those fees can be refunded. Enter today at morebeer.com. Back on the Sour Hour, talking about the uh, Wild Friendship Blend with Cantillon, Russian River, and Allagash. You know what I love about this uh, this rejoiner is uh, all of our guests who are uh, a generation past us uh, uh, always go, oh, Tone Lo. Like uh, Vinny just went, oh, Tone Lo. And like uh, <laughs> Tim, Santa Adarius, Tim, Tim from Santa Adarius, when he heard this, he was like, oh, I can picture myself making out on my couch with my like 17-year-old girlfriend the first time I heard this song. <laughs> but I also said Tone Lo because Dogfish had just had Tone Lo play at a party at the uh, oh, yeah, Brewers conference. That, that sounded wow. like a good time, though. I missed it, too. I missed wow. it. Big name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All sorts yeah. of fun stuff going yeah. on at CBC. So, yeah, we're back. And now we actually have uh, – see, now we're going to be the envy of all beer geeks. We have both uh, blends in front of us. And as Vinny reminded me during the break, we didn't really get a chance too much to talk about the first one. So, Vinny, why don't you, why don't you lead us off? How did it, how's it tasting to you? But, you know, I haven't had this. the first time I've tried them side by side. This will be the first time I've tried them side by side, too. So Well, this is excellent. We can the, do um, live tasting. And I and I haven't had the the Belgian blend um, for for some time now. So I think we had a few bottles at our employee Christmas party. <laughs> and uh, excellent. I think the first one was certainly holding up very well. Um, you know, Jean, you mentioned it has a a nice fine soft flavor to it. Do you, was that true to the the original blend? Do you find some difference in the the age of the Belgian version? But I think it's we can compare it. It's it's not the same beer. I sent no. I sent the exact I sent the same beer I used for for the blend, mm-hmm. but I think that Vinny and and, and uh, Rob used it, uh, another batch, yeah. so it's uh, here we f- we feel the difference. Yeah, absolutely. There's a little bit of um, uh, a clarity difference. Is there any reason for that? Do you guys think, or is that just me and my glass? It could be where maybe you got the beer from the bottle because mm-hmm. I might even be just the opposite. Okay. Well, are get, you more cloudy on the Allagash version or the? It's not. It's yeah. not because the yeah. beer is not pasteurized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we pasteurize. Our, we pasteurize this batch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> were you not supposed to? <laughs> were you Were you guys going for clarity in these beers? Is that a priority? No. No. 
No, no. No, I, I get if, I, if you if you if you don't shake the the the, the first one, it's uh, yeah. the beer is clear. Yeah, I think it's yeah. just uh, my, uh, it's different yeah. different parts. I get models. I get more in the aroma on the Belgian blend, the one that was blended at uh, a bit more sourness on the on the American one, and then a little more, yeah. And, uh, and I think the American one's maybe a little lighter in body, maybe. More sourness on which one did you say, John? The American one. Oh, okay. Mm. So do you set out, you have a goal in mind with these blends? Like, I'm going to achieve, or do you just kind of blend and taste as you go, and when it's right, it's right? Uh, I believe they're talking to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you repeat your question? I, I don't think any of the, the other three, Jason, Robert, I, was, I, I can I, even speak I was tasting. I was tasting and uh, <laughs> focused on my beer. Yes, sorry. Okay. Now I'm wondering the, when you blend, yeah. if you if you have a goal in mind, here's kind of what I want it to taste like, and then you blend looking for that goal, or do you blend and taste and you just kind of know when it's right? No, I've I've n- never a goal because when I when I blend, I begin my my blend with the the old beer with the the three years old beer, and I don't know what what I will find. Uh, I don't research something something special, and I build my blend on base of of the three years uh, old beer. So uh, if I'm beginning with uh, something soft, vinous, uh, with uh, woody and vanilla flavors, I will need something stronger with more soreness for the two and the one years old. If I found a three years old with more character, more soreness, I need more uh, more softness and more mellowness for the the one and the two years. So it's it's, it's a question of feeling. It's very difficult to explain. And how are you guys blending your American versions of these spontaneous beers? So <clears throat> yesterday uh, when we were at our pub and Jean uh, was, was over there and I was, we were brewing a conventional hoppy beer, but I opened the roll up in, of the barrel room and we started tasting some different beers. And, and then we started talking about our process and how we do it now. And I was telling them how we, we now brew each beer with different residence time in the horny tank at potentially different temperature and and so it gives us a whole palette of batches to to pull from so so for us a batch of of synambic is 10 wine barrels and so we'll go into a blending session with like 10 to work from but they're not all brewed the same i mean they're the same recipe but they're different times in the horny tank at different temperatures and so on and so forth. so it gives us more to pull from so we go in with no goal in mind just blend the best beer we can but we're we're also not following the tradition like Jean does of three two and one year old mm-hmm. uh, beer we will blend whatever we blend to um, make the best beer and then also we use a lot of synambic to bring up acidity in other uh, in other beers like temptation supplication consecration those beers will often have synambic blended into them and so you're talking about starting to do more manipulation of your variables like uh, horny tank time. Um, what are you seeing affects most, like two main variables of sour beer, which would be acidity and then Brett aromatics. Are you seeing some trends there? Uh, we're seeing acidity being the biggest difference. So we, when we went in with the horny tank, I thought that the three variables to lead up to good flavor and aroma would be um, the amount of time in the horny tank, the temperature of the wort 
and what was in the barrels before. We quickly proved that what was in the barrels before didn't matter because mm-hmm. we started trying batches with just clean barrels from our winemaker partners, who I absolutely know have no bread or anything weird in their barrels. And <clears throat> some of our absolute best Synambic batches came from barrels that didn't have anything in them before, not, nothing funky. So we then narrowed it down to time in the horny tank and temperature. As, as being the two most variables to gain brett flavor, um, you know, acidity, other wild yeast characteristics. We've, we've uh, worked out that we have 17 microorganisms in our barrel room. Wow. So we're, we've worked with a lab over in Napa to work that out. And I think Cantillon, didn't you do a project, John, where you worked with the university or something uh, to figure the pro- out? The, pro- the product is... Uh it's over since two years now, but during three years, yes, the, the University of Ghent in Flanders analyzed uh, two different batches uh, during three years, and uh, the results are uh, uh, very nice because uh, with the, the DNA of uh, yeast and bacteria, the goal was to decrease uh, the number of yeast and uh, bacteria present in, uh, in the beer. Uh, because uh, some of them were exactly the same, like the the famous Lambicus. Uh, everyone knows today that Lambicus don't exist or didn't exist. Unfortunately, well, I love this name. <laughs> uh, but uh, they discovered with the new uh, the new equipment, they they discovered new yeast and new bacteria present in uh, the lambic, and so we are still around uh, 100 different yeast and bacteria uh, active in. Uh, in the, the lambic, in, in the Cantillon lambic, and um, they uh, made the, the the reflection so that they, they in the analyze, 16 yeast and 8 bacteria are playing uh, an important role uh, in the fermentation. It means 24 different strains playing an important role in the lambic fermentation. That's That's huge. Yeah. And uh, Jason, I know you guys had your beers evaluated by, I believe it was a student locally at Davis, and they kind of looked in some similar things. Did you guys learn anything from that? Yeah, absolutely. It was We were pretty fortunate with that. It was several years ago. It was probably almost four years ago at this point. Uh, UC Davis grad student approached us uh, and asked us if you know we, we were willing to send him some samples for an- analysis, and we said absolutely because a, a lot of the testing they were doing was a little bit out of our reach, and... Uh, so for two full years, we sent them samples from, from two different, several different batches, one from the sp- fall season, as we call it, and one from the spring season. And, um, you know, they were able to give a true microbial progression of what was happening through the fermentation process and um, gave us huge value to see what was there. And, and it was really interesting to see that, you know, you can kind of look at it as comparison to what was done uh, with the Cantillon Brewery. And it was, you know, the the exact concentration of organisms and, and um, exact types was different, but the general progression of types but throughout the month process uh, was very, very similar. So, you know, you start with this very brief period of enteric bacteria and goes right into wild saccharomyces from there into lactic acid bacteria. And then, you know, Britannomyces is really what ends up doing the, doing the real flavor, flavor work in the end. But uh, it, was, it was great to be able to have that access to that information. Absolutely. And do you ever set out to manipulate some of those variables? Like if you're looking for, let's say, a stronger influence of the wild Saccharomyces, would you kind of play with maybe uh, temperature or time in the cool ship or some variable along the way that would allow you to 
you know, accentuate different flavors in that kind of early period of fermentation? Yeah. I mean, if I were to pick one thing, probably the, the biggest factor we saw as, as having a influence over flavors we liked and what we didn't like was exterior temperature and in, in the overnight, really, I mean, you could look at it as your average temperature for the 24 hour period, but now to keep things simple, I'm kind of just looking at overnight temperature. What, what is it? Uh, and we had a much wider range of temperature of what we allowed, uh, in that overnight, like you're looking at the temperature, what the weather's going to tell us it's going to be. Uh, we had a pretty wide range early on in the process and it's a much tighter now. I mean, it's, it's roughly in Fahrenheit, 25 Fahrenheit to 40 Fahrenheit. If okay. it's over 40, we won't do it. Um, under 25, uh, we've taken our chances a little bit with that. I think we're concerned with different things in that case, yeah. getting into, you know, just kind of super dormant and potentially freezing, a, making a big ice cube in the cool ship. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, something like that. But, you know, it's one of the things we talked to Jean about it is he's told us, you know, the colder the better. Uh, granted, For, I mean, yeah. we get very cold. Yeah. Uh, so we haven't pushed it super cold. But. Well, let's get into that. So you guys um, sort of take after a little bit the brewing seasonality, but I think you skip winter. Is that right? You kind of do more fall and spring to mimic the temperatures, whereas uh, Cantillon will go straight through? Yeah, we started, when we started the process, we kind of looked at, you know, we, we wanted to, you know, look at the successes of what they're doing at Cantillon, what they're doing, and, and what historically, what the way Lambic had been produced, and looked at their brewing season, and we looked at a kind of a weather pattern of Portland, Maine versus Brussels area, and found that, you know, there are certain times of the year where it was basically exactly the same, uh, fall and spring. Winter, we, got, we get much colder uh, up in the northeast. And summer, we're warm like, like Belgium. And uh, so initially, we started brewing in the fall and then pausing in the winter and starting again in the spring. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've actually moved away from fall brew. I'm sorry, of spring brewing. Mm. Um, I think it's still very feasible to do it then. Uh, but Maine's funny with weather as spring, as the end of winter comes and spring starts, uh, you know, it's just a really volatile season. So, you know, you'll have four feet of snow on the ground and, you know, 10 degrees at night. And then the next day it'll be a 60 degree day. And so we just found that kind of planning brew days became cumbersome. Uh, and, and, uh, so now we, Basically, the last two years, we've just done it in the fall when the season is nice and predictable and we can, you know, not have to cancel a brew day at the last minute. And you mentioned during the break that um, you guys, the difference between these blends were uh, same year, a different season. Do you pick up uh, the flavor differences between those two in, in tasting these beers? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily those beers as much as just the conglomeration of the beers. I mean, in... In our case, uh, you know, similar to what John John did, we sent, you know, Vinny selected some beer and then we selected some beer to send to Cantillon. And then, you know, Cantillon didn't have a choice of which ones to work with. That's what he was given from us. Mm -hmm. So therefore, then he picked a beer that, that matched what he felt matched uh, those existing beers. And for us, it was the same. We were fortunate enough to bring... We kind of talked a bunch about how we would do the logistics of this. We could talk for hours about the logistics of getting all these beers together. <laughs> uh, but in the end, we felt it was easiest to just do it at, at Allagash, the American version. So Vinny came and joined us uh, for several days. And so we had, in that case, Cantillon's beer and Russian River beer kind of already selected there. 
Uh, and, you know, a group of us mainly, you know, Rob, Vinny, and myself got to try a number of barrels that were available and kind of picked, you know, it was kind of a different process than normal blending for us where we were, you know, we're picking uh, a, a beer to kind of meld with what we already had, had already had selected, I guess. So in, in both beers, the Russian River wasn't, was what we sent. Whereas at Cantillon, Jean had some had all of his beers to pick from. At Allagash, that was there was many to pick from, which mm-hmm. I was a part of. But I shipped beer to both places. The funny part about this is when when Jean sent us an email after he had blended the Belgian version, and he goes, "Well, I have all of your empty kegs. Um, do you want me to fill them with uh, Cantillon and ship them back to you?" <laughs> it's like, "Well, there's a bear shit in the woods, of course, you know." And then and then the idea came up: "Well, why don't you send back? Why don't you fill all of our kegs with with lambic, and um, and we'll make an American blend and then do a similar event." And so the uh, the American blend that we're also drinking right now was actually blended uh, last. June, so it's gonna it's eleven months old uh, wow. when it's when it gets served and what we're drinking right now. So it has it has a fair amount of um, a bottle age on it, and which which is great. Uh, in fact, we we blended it on on Father's it was Father's Day weekend because I remember these Rob and Jason were with their families and uh, I was out in in Portland, Maine, doing my own thing at uh, at Jay's. What's that called? Jay's. Jay's Oyster Shack. That place is that place is awesome. Um, it's like the Toronado of dive seafood bars in Very Portland, cool. Maine. <laughs> but and then now it's Mother's Day weekend, and we're doing the event, so it's kind of apropos. Perfect. Is it Mother's Day weekend? <laughs> I forgot. Just uh, I think there are, what you just said, Vinny, begs an obvious question. So you know, Jean had uh, emptied the kegs for his blend. Now this blend has started again. Those kegs must have been emptied. Were they sent back to Cantillon? Where are they? <laughs> He's still waiting. Actually, this is Jay. What you need to do is send some of your fantastic sour beer to Jean. Like, hey, Jean from Rare Barrel Kegs and Joy. And then maybe you'll get that question. Hey, I got these empties. You want me to send some Cantillon back to Rare Barrel? That's putting the cart before the horse. I thought that was like my best reporter question yeah. ever. Like, can yeah. I confirm a third blend right now? But Well, yeah, but, I was I was nervous, honestly, when we got those four kegs in with the Cantillon beer. I told our crew, like, seriously, watch out for these kegs. <laughs> Keep them under lock and key because there's probably a lot of people who would love to get their hands on them. So I was nervous when those kegs were sitting there before they were actually added to the blend. Awesome. Did I hear some murmurings about theft as it pertains to this beer? I I thought I heard something like that. Am I wrong? I I had just heard a couple bottles might have disappeared from Cantillon during the event in Brussels, but it sounds like it was other beers that might have... Maybe. I don't remember it, but uh, it's possible. Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah, but uh, a lot a lot of people ask for it. it's uh, right. it's it's rare. It's something very special coming from three uh, three three well known brewery and uh, breweries. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's a uh, it's a beer a bit uh, a bit compared as gold. All right, um, it was me. But I uh, <laughs> my, my guilt is eating me alive. <laughs> but we, uh, as as Vinny uh, said, it we don't we don't sell it. So uh, the goal is not to uh, to, uh, to to sell it to to take away. So time to time we open it uh, at the brewery for friends, but uh, that's it. 
Well, it tastes like gold. So sure I'm does. happy that we get it's some It's gold in color? Absolutely. It tastes like gold? So I yeah. promised to get into a little bit of nitty-gritty on some of the process details. Um, so what I'd like to do is maybe, Jean, ask you about the traditional sort of hot side, the brewing of the wort for a spontaneous beer, and then kind of get the Allagash and Russian River perspective. Where do you guys differ? It can be a small detail, maybe like the, the age of the hop or a certain mash temperature, mash step that you get to, but maybe explain the traditional way, and then you guys can chime in at, as to where you differ. So we are working uh, with uh, 35% and malted wheat, uh, malted barley, uh, pilsen. Um, we are using the turbid mash method, so we begin the mash, um, the, the machine at uh, 48 then 56 and 66, and at 56 and 66, I'm speaking in Celsius, huh? sorry. Um, we, we empty the, 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 the mash tun um, to fill uh, one, of the, one of the two uh, boiling kettle with the liquid. And the goal there is to, uh, to begin to, uh, to, to boil it, to reach the, the boiling, but not to evaporate something. So it's... Uh, it's to, to reach uh, 100 degrees and to develop more uh, dextrins. During this time, we had warm uh, wa water in the, the mash tun to reach the saccharification, 72 degrees. There we stop the propellers. We are waiting 15 minutes and we begin the filtration with the word and we fill up the other boiling tun. When the mash tun is empty, the turbid mash is coming back in the machine to increase to 78 degrees, so the final saccharification, and we continue to uh, to filtrate to continue the filtration uh, during the boil, a very long boil, four hours. We had uh, hop. We are working with uh, an average of 250-300 grams hop for uh, per hectoliters. Mm -hmm. And we are working with aged hop, uh, two or three years. Yeah, uh, right now, in the, at the end of the season, uh, I work it with a blend of uh, Alerto 2010 and uh, Alerto 2014. Okay. Yeah. And then pump so up. So then pump up uh, fil hop filtration. Uh, we evaporate during the boiling 20-25 percent of the of the volume. So we. We wow. pump up 9,500 to 10,000 liters, and we evaporate between 2,000 and 2,500 liters. The goal is to, to reach uh, the day after the, the brew, so after the, the cooling, 12.5 Plato. So uh, we pump up the liquid on the, the cool ship mm -hmm. at end of the day, between 4 and 5 p.m., and uh, the the words stay there during uh, the 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 whole night till uh, eight nine it depends on the temperature of the word when i when I come back at the brewery the day the day after uh, the right temperature for me uh, are between eighteen and twenty degrees, and we begin uh, immediately to fill up the the wooden barrels okay and then how important is the shape of the room, how much ventilation, the dimensions of the cooling ship? Uh, dimension of the cool ship, uh, f four meters on four meters and a half. So it's uh, yeah, 17, 
18 square meters, mm -hmm. uh, not so deep uh, to have a maximum of uh, liquid in contact with the air. Uh, I think that the the dimension of the the tunnel is four meters on four meters and uh, deep. 25 centimeters, 30 centimeters. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can put on the on the cool ship around 7,000 liters. And uh, yes, we need uh, one night uh, to uh, to cool all the all the liquid. The right temperature during the night are for us, as uh, Jason uh, said, uh, around zero degrees. Okay, that's that's really the 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 best temperature if the temperature are high or it's possible we can grow till seven eight degrees but there we need a windy uh, windy night to evacuate the the steam okay interesting so that's another variable too not just the outside temperature yeah we are we are looking uh we we pay a lot of attention to the to to the the weather forecast during uh during a brew day and uh uh, I decide to open or to close uh, all the the ventilation in uh, in the in the room, or to to open just a part of it. Okay. To to try to reach the right temperature the day uh, the day after, yeah. And during the night, I'm sleeping in a <laughs> the <laughs> the, the wild the wild yeast the wild the yeast are working <laughs> uh, wild yeast coming from the air and coming from the from the building itself because. Uh, we 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 are speaking about the the, the yeast the, the airborne yeast, but uh, we 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 don't have to forget that a lot of yeast are coming from the building itself. Absolutely, it gets steamy up there, and then there's some condensation and all yeah. that. Yeah. So why don't we start there at the end with the cool ship? You know where you guys are knocking the word out, and any any differences there for for you guys? Algash first, since you guys have more, you're a closer process to. Yeah, Vinny's correct. We we are similar in a lot of ways to 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 the process that John just described, and you know we are also running a turbid mass. We're also using age tops, also long boil, etc. Um, you know, our cool ship is you know a little bit different. One, it's stainless steel instead of copper. I guess that's a fairly big difference. Um, it's a little bit deeper than Cantillons, but mm -hmm. but not dramatically so. Uh, our room is very small, uh, so. Uh, we have some ventilation windows, but we found right from the get-go that we needed some help there. So we actually do have a fan that we run um, on a variable speed drive that draw, helps draw air through through the room to help that cooling uh, a little bit more. Uh, and we, um, you know, we've we've found not only does it take longer to cool when it's warmer, we've also found that we get some kind of solventy ethyl acetate type aromas with the beer two years later. Wow. We'll figure it out later. Uh that when the when the weather is warmer. So uh but other than that our process is pretty similar. I know Vinny's is 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 quite a bit different, yeah. so he should speak to that. And I, I just want to tell a story. I remember being at Allegash um it was probably eight years ago. I don't how long have you had the cool ship? December of seven we installed it. Yeah, so I was there maybe a year or two after that, and we were tasting beers. I was in Boston for something on, I think, Brewers Association business when I was on the board of the BA and came up and tasted through a bunch of beers. And I remember, I still remember saying, man, these are the closest thing I've ever tasted to Belgian Lambic, you know, outside. And it was young at the time, but I had, Natalie and I had just been to the spontaneous um, 
beer festival in, in Belgium, in, uh, in Bougainout. Bougainout. Yeah, Bougainout. See, it sounds so much better when he <laughs> says it. And, uh, and that's this festival that has uh, young Lambic all the way to Finnish Goose and, and, and Frambois and Creek. And it was a really cool event as a young, spontaneous brewer to go and taste, you know, six-month-old Lambic and – it tastes like garbage for the most part. In fact, yesterday we were tasting our young spontaneous beer, the young Sinambic, and, and Jean made a comment. He goes, well, at this age, you know, Cantillon wouldn't even be drinkable. And, um, and ours it just has this horrific uh, Goodyear tire Britannomyces mm. quality. But I remember that in the, in the Allagash beers at that time, just saying, man, they're, they're, they are so on on in line with what the uh the belgians are and at the time for us we were getting these giant acidic uh bombs and and so we've since changed to the to the horny tank but ours is is long and deep because that's all that would fit in and it and i kept going back to what jean told us nine years ago when when rob and i were in belgium together uh, along with our other american brewer friends that you can make spontaneous beer anywhere in the world you just may have a different process and so i really embraced that as we went from the mash ton horny tank idea to a, a horny or excuse me our mash ton is a horny tank compared to actually having a, a proper tank and um as as i jokingly say if you've ever been in our pub and seen the uh the horny tank in our barrel room there it it just looks like a giant men's urinal at the uh, ballpark. <laughs> it's, it's 19 it's feet trough. long. It's a trough, yeah. And so, so we do a uh, traditional uh, malt uh, bill, as, as Jean does. Uh, we use aged hops. Uh, that's probably one area where we need to be better at is, is really being focused on how old they are. And, and sometimes, you know, we'll grab some hops that probably aren't quite old enough, and so we're getting more alpha acid. I don't know where you guys, where Allagash sits on this, but it's, it's definitely an, a, a critical area that I think we need to be better at. Uh, we're aging pellets. Um, we're buying aged hops from the uh, brokers. That The brokers are about to throw these hops away. I just, I just got almost 10,000 pounds of hops in from a Ooh. hop broker. So they're stoked <laughs> to get rid of it then, right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Jean was making deals. We had uh, we had Carl Van Evenhoven. We were brewing a beer for the Homebrewers Conference yesterday at the pub, and uh, on the side was was Carl, who's from Hop Union Yakima Chief, and and Jean talking. And I, I think Jean might have bought some hops. <laughs> but uh, so it was a deal, yeah. So we. Uh, so so after we brew, we actually do run our wort through a, a heat exchanger. Uh, we cool we cool it down and then go into the horny tank and let it sit overnight and pick up the bugs and critters that are in the air in our barrel room. So uh, so that's a, a big difference in uh, in process from from both Cantillon and Allagash. And then one other variable that we're playing with now is we're we're always using the same recipe, but we're maybe making it a little bit stronger in gravity or a little mm-hmm. bit lower in gravity. So we do have some different variables to, to pull from when we're making blends as well. But the base recipe is always the same. The percentages are just a little bit different. Um, and then when we go into the barrel, uh, we're at about probably 68 Fahrenheit. We were a lot warmer when we started this process. And at that time, we were getting so much more acid growth and there wasn't enough yeast and 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 whether it's wild yeast Saccharomyces or Brett whatever it was. So as we brought that temperature down, we really found that 
we got better flavor. And instead of having this really sharp, acidic, it became a lot more round and, and softer. And I think the batch of beatification that we'll release sometime in the next few months, we probably bottled it a little bit young. There's still some a little too much brett showing through. That will age out over time. Uh, as we get better at this, oh, you know, maybe next time we don't have quite that character but i think the next batch of beatification and what we're pouring tomorrow during the lunch shows a a more restrained softness than we've ever seen in beatification before awesome i think that's a pretty good rundown of the hot side stuff uh i really want to get into differences in aging we're kind of at that point in all your guys stories where you're getting into the barrel so should we take a a quick break yes let's i want to ask just very quickly about the uh the rubber tire off flavor that you mentioned yeah, the or the, good, or the, the, the Goodyear, the Goodyear let's, tire. Let's, let's say that actually, cause I want to get into that. Okay, so Vinny teased it out a little bit because <laughs> a lot of people want to make these kinds of beers, but no one really knows what they're supposed to taste like at one year, two year, three year. Maybe people are trying out a uh, sour beer like we are at the rare barrel and it can taste good, you know, at a year, but it's not the same process that you're going to go through in this, in this type of beer. Yeah. So, and it might taste good then, or, or it, I'm picturing in my head people listening going, well, I'm getting that Goodyear thing, and my thing's three years old, so now what? So yeah, what, so what's a, what is a good flavor? That. What is a bad flavor? We'll talk about that after a quick break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, dude, you know what beer this is? Oh, uh, no, all the labels are falling off. Yeah, or the ink is run. Well, if it's the pale ale, you're good, but stay away from the quote-unquote Belgian. Oh, man, this guy needs to get some grog tags. Grog tags are reusable, write-on, wipe-off, commercial-grade bottle labels for your brew. The guys at Grog Tag are homebrewers. They wanted great-looking, sturdy labels for your bottles, buckets, carboys, kegs, and growlers. They also wanted a label that not only looks good, but can be easily removed and reapplied during bottling without that nasty glue residue being left behind. No residue, water-resistant, and ice chest-approved. Grog tags stay on in water or an ice chest, and they stay legible. Visit grogtag.com to Customize your label or coaster from dozens of different templates for free and see how awesome your bottles can look. Ah, oh, it's that pseudo-Belgian. Yeah, we're getting him some grog tags, dude. Grog tag. At least your beer will look good. Grogtag.com. BN Army, I'm here to talk seriously for a second. You all are partially responsible for something explosive, and it's time you answer for it. Moonlight Meadery is exploding. Yeah, exploding across the country. Wait, they just landed in Australia with insane quality meads. With nearly 70 different varieties of mead on the market, Moonlight Meadery has blown up the mead category and completely reinvented it. Seriously? What? Seriously? What? You're paying money for that watered-down mead when you could have a Moonlight Mead? Moonlight Meads explode with quality and flavor. They're a party in a bottle. Did someone say party? If you want mead and want the best, you want meads from Moonlight Meadery and will accept nothing less. And now get 15% off by going to moonlightmeadery.com forward slash BNARMY and use coupon code BNARMY at checkout. Hey, sign me up for that party. The best thing to happen to Brewer's Yeast in a century is from White Labs. For pro brewers and home brewers, yeast in the new Pure Pitch Package, powered by Flexel technology, redefines how fresh your yeast can really be. That's because your yeast is cultured, grown, and delivered all in the same Pure Pitch Package. It's never been transferred and never been exposed to the environment. Pure Pitch is powered by White Labs' proprietary Flexel container, which took six years to develop and is designed to be the best 
home your yeast has ever traveled in. Just cut open a Pure Pitch package and pitch the purest yeast possible. Learn more about Pure Pitch, powered by FlexCell technology, at whitelabs.com. And while you're there, sign up for one of the many great classes White Labs offers, like Yeast Essentials 2.0, coming up August 22nd and 23rd, or any one of their great workshops for brewers, distillers, and vendors. Pure Pitch from White Labs. Six years to develop, refine, and perfect. Two seconds to open. Wait, Justin, what was that point? You recorded that whole conversation during the break, right? Oh, it was a good one. Oh, no. Don't tell did. me you didn't have a you didn't have the mics hot. Oh man. Uh. Well we'll get right back to that in a second, but I think we either have a question or an email. And on this show, that's of course sponsored by Sourbeerblog.com. Follow all of uh, Dr. Lambic's exploits on the site. Go ahead and check it out. Sourbeerblog.com. Scott, what's our uh well, let me actually just say, I, I did on? just get an email from uh, Matt, Dr. Lambic himself, and uh, he said Great. he has uh, shipped us a new batch of his beers. Excellent. So this should be arriving any day. Very Best excited. So, that, this is, uh, so you guys know, this is a, a very talented uh, a home brewer listener of ours who runs a, uh, a blog all about sour beer, and it's commercial quality homebrewed sour beer. You guys, I don't know how much sour homebrew you've tried lately. It would blow your mind, the, the, the high quality of the... Stuff being brewed out there by the uh, the lay people. Anyway, so this just came in from uh, Tom Peters, the owner of Monk's Cafe. <laughs> and uh, he said he's poolside at the Hyatt Vineyard Creek, and he's mighty thirsty. Uh, Rob, can you please drop off some beer? I traveled over 3,000 miles for tomorrow's event, but I'm kind of thirsty now. Oh, I will bring some beer back for you, Tom. Yeah, we'll, be I, uh, there. we'll be there in half an hour, 6, 6 p.m. I heard, I heard Tom <laughs> snuck into town last night, and he told our staff at the pub, he's like, you better not fucking call Natalie and Vinny and tell them I'm here. I don't want them to come down. I'm just here. I want to. I need some alone you know. time. And uh, no, it was nice of them. Uh, last night was my only night to pack and do laundry and whatnot before we head off to Portland, Maine. So uh, yeah. Yeah, we're doing this event tomorrow night, and then all of us are getting on planes, heading back east, and we got the event on Saturday. Yeah. So it's a, I don't. It's a I don't know who's going to be at, at your event, uh, but we've got. Uh, so Tom Peters from Monks flew all the way out. Uh, Dave Keen and his wife Jennifer are coming up from the Tornado San Francisco. Uh, Ian Black from Tornado San Diego is coming up for uh, for the Russian River event tomorrow. I was um, just with him in San Diego yeah, a few so, days ago, uh, and a few other uh, friends are, are coming in. But for the most part, it's all just lambic sour beer funky beer lovers appreciators uh coming to the lunch i'm calling it a dinner but it really is a lunch and then afterwards we'll have all these beers available to taste nice and yeah robbie actually just reminded me i asked you about this off air but i don't think we talked much about kind of the details uh the comparison of your event versus what's going on tomorrow night what is happening on saturday well you know it does seem like each of the three events is is pretty unique which is cool um but our event, we're, of course, going to have all, all three of us brewers here. We're going to have, I think, four Canteon beers, three or four Canteon beers, four or so Allagash beers, and three four. or four uh, Russian River beers. And we've got different tasting, set, uh, different tasting stations set up around the brewery. 
So anyone who attends is going to be able to see a little bit of the brewery, go from station to station, uh, try each of the beers. And we also have a, a number of amazing local restaurants that are going to be, they're going to have some kind of bite-sized foods at the event. And, you know, anyone who's been to Portland knows it's an amazing food city now. You could you could go there for a month and every single day eat, eat an amazing uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner at different places that you can practically walk to. So we've got, uh, I think, 10 or so, 9 or 10 uh, local amazing restaurants that are going to have food there. And I was looking at the weather. looks like it's going to be a beautiful day, about uh, 65, 70 degrees and partly cloudy, so it's going to be a nice day to be in Portland. Well, that's perfect. Jean will be in shorts again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It must be nice. I promise. Jean, Jean came into the brewery yesterday, and uh, he looked like he's a Californian. He's got his uh, tennis shoes on, shorts, T-shirt. and uh, Except my accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. So uh, I feel a little bit bad. We lost out on a recording opportunity during the break, but I say we just hop right back into it. And maybe, uh, Vinny, you can lead us off in our discussion about uh, – this issue of when a sour beer gets viscous, ropey, sick, has demons, whatever it is. Uh, the first time you encountered it and, you know, how did, how did your fellow sour beer brewers help you out? First, first time was in a beer in a barrel. Didn't know what it was. Um, it was probably a year before this trip that I took to Belgium with Rob and some of our friends. Uh, then it happened in the bottle of a uh, first batch of sanctification, 100% Brett beer that we uh, bottled. But that's, um, I think that has some bac- had some bacteria in it, and I had no idea what it was. I went as far as to make a label uh, because it gets sick and it has this viscous kind of oily, slimy, snotty kind of consistency to it, and you could see it in the bottle of sanctification. So we went and made in a in the uh, bottle. You can see it with the the sediment. The, se- the, the sediment deposit is different. If the beer is sick or oh, not, wow! Yeah. And and it's and it and it's also floating on the top of the beer, and so we went ahead and made a label, a neck label, and covered it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a good solution. And then uh, and then a few months later, we were in Belgium. Natalie and I were in Belgium. It was a, it was a month after Rob and I were there together. And Natalie and I are there, and, and Jean taught me all about a beer being sick and and what it was, and that it's. Uh, it's a pH thing, and PDO is is doing its thing. And there's multiple strains of Pediococcus, so it could be a strain. It's pH. It's, it's a couple. It, there's a few things that a few dynamics that that affect it. And um, you know, I'm I'm. It doesn't bother me. I think it makes our beer more rich and robust. And uh, you know, there's there's a trend now in the craft beer world in America to, to make these kettle sour beers that's all lacto driven. And and that's that's well and fine, but to to get rich roundness and mouthfeel, you have to have pedio, I think, and and I've I've learned that from no, I, from Jean. I agree. Yeah, it's uh, here uh, at the the Cantillon Brewery. Yes, we've. I don't know if all our beers are uh, are sick, but uh, most of them for sure, and uh, some beer are more affected than than the other one. Because time to time, this sickness can uh, can be really like oil. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very strange, but we 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 don't try to avoid it uh, because it it's very easy to avoid it. You if you acidify your your word, uh, if you decrease the pH to uh, three three eight three nine, you avoid normally the the pedio development and. Uh, 
you can use your your lambic earlier. Uh, it's an advantage because uh, during the summer, when uh, we receive the first uh, the first fruits in July, August, uh, without uh, sickness, it's possible to use the lambic from the previous winter. But we don't, so we have for this uh, this summer, for example, we will use uh, lambic from the season twelve, thirteen, and thirteen, fourteen. It will be totally it will be totally impossible to use the lambic from the season. Uh, 14, 15. So, it's it's a small financial problem because uh, it could be easier to use young lambic, but uh, we don't want to change anything because I, I'm sure that the the sickness and the low the low fermentation uh, is is giving more more character to the beer. And is your advice for a sour beer brewer who's listening? Is it just as simple as wait it out, or is there anything else you can do? No, you you, you can do only one thing: wait. Okay. It's uh, and we have that's we try to resolve the problem, but uh, we don't found the origin uh, for the the grapes uh, lambic, for example. Uh, even if we are working with uh, good beer, if the beer if the the sickness uh, totally disappears. With the grapes, so the problem is coming from the grapes itself, uh, we start again a type of uh, sickness, but mm -hmm. in the bottle. Okay. And there we have to wait. Uh, the, 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 the problem disappears. It, it takes uh, three, four, five, six months. And you're already aging your bottle a yeah. pretty long time anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But we, we, we age the bottle uh, for, for all the beers. So uh, mm -hmm. a fruit beer at the brewery needs two, three months, and for the good, between six months and one year Wow! before before the release. Okay. And Rob and Jason, have you guys experienced this uh, sick, you know, experience in your uh, barrel program or your other sour beers? You have to say we yes now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually never, we've never seen it in our brewery. And I, I, I assume that's just because depending on the location, you're going to see a different grouping and family of, of microorganisms and depending on what you see and what kind of conditions you have at the brewery, you, you might see it and you might not, but we, we really haven't seen it. And, you know, one of the things that we can talk about a little, if you want, is just uh, conditions in the barrel room. And that's one thing we've, we've spent a fair amount of time looking at, but we've, we've, and we've talked about a little bit today, just in, in terms of uh, making uh, a more gentle, complex, refined, sour beer, I think the temperature in the barrel room is important. At least it's important to us. You can make a sour beer very quickly. You can make a sour beer in two or three months easily just by having a very high temperature. In those beers, they don't tend to be very complex, and they can they don't tend to be very gentle. They can be a little bit harsh. And they can and they can age. What's beer, that? They can age. A beer That's produce right. it. A beer produce it faster if more difficulties to age what, That's what, right. what happens when you try to age a beer like that uh i don't know because but no but um, no, no names but uh some 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 works uh, are, are using uh beer produced faster and uh yeah when you taste uh, such a beer after four or five years it's you feel it I, I think that th there's an important balance you need to strike between having the sellers warm enough 
so all the microorganisms can do their work, but not having it so warm that the process goes too quickly or that you have some microbes that dominate the fermentation, like Acetobacter, which gives you essentially vinegar. So is that going to depend on the barrel room, or is there a sort of range you can give people? We're at Russian River. We're at 58 to 62, and honestly, I prefer us when we're closer to 58. I, I, we've, we've cooled down our barrel rooms very significantly compared to where we were when we started doing, you know, funky beers, not just spontaneous, but temptation, supplication, consecration. I like our beers much better now. I think they're rounder, they're softer. And just like, you know, Rob and Jason were saying, you know, you, just the temperature has such a big part of, of what these beers are. And to make them rounder and softer, it's a time thing. And, and, and I know there's American craft brewers out there that are trying to speed up the souring process. And that's one type of sour, funky beer. But barrel beers that are using PDO specifically for souring, you really need to go you know, low and slow and, and just wait it out and be patient. And you get such soft, round flavors. And, you know, we even when we bottle, we don't, we bottle and we wait about two or three months before releasing the beers. Not quite as long as Cantillon, but one of the reasons we wait, we get bottle conditioning pretty fast on temptation, supplication, consecration. We get carbonation within two weeks. We're waiting the extra eight to ten weeks just in case the beer gets sick again and gets ropey in the bottle. And then you know, we'd have a recall situation. So that's one of the reasons why we're waiting it out. I think you just came up with two new Russian River Sours. We got uh, carbonation and recall situation. (laughs) (laughs) I would drink both of those. That's something we absolutely copied at the Rare Barrel. So we do the 8 to 10 weeks because, you know, yeah, we are scared of sending a beer out there that may taste good and is fully carbonated. And then if we just held on to it that extra month, we would have seen that it was just about to turn sick and not something the, the maybe maybe a lot of sour beer brewers understand this uh, at this point, but it's not something I think that's very well understood by yeah. the consumer. But there's still there's a lot of young entrants into this. I mean, it seems like everyone's making funky beer now in the American craft beer. You see the influence you guys so. have had. You've affected so many people's lives. I mean, I I remember at the first GABF that we entered Temptation. It was in uh, 2000. There was one category that you could enter. Uh, a funky beer into now there's like five or six you know there's actually only almost too many now you know um but that's that's where it's gone and the categories are crowded not only are there many more of them but there are a lot of beers being entered in each of them yeah yeah which is cool you know it's it's good to see the proliferation and the appreciation of the style you just got two more sour beers there we go (laughs) well you should see our anti-shun list Uh, (laughs) well let's see you did you work with travis yeah i've got a few of those yeah so uh, our old brewer (laughs) travis smith you now is at society uh when when we he and i worked together we had the the anti-shun list which was uh (laughs) rather crude and rude if you know travis (laughs) (laughs) but Procrastination still coming out soon, though, right? It is next week. Yeah. Next yeah. week, okay. and we got it. We have we'll to give uh, Grumpy uh, Eric Rose at Hollister a nod for that one. That was his idea. Nice. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you make the good point that there are uh, a lot of new entrants in American sour beer. You know, driven by a lot of what you guys have done in the past. Um, you know, one thing 
we're trying to do at the show is get as many talented sour beer makers on to explain their process so we're spreading that information faster you know not everyone can uh fly out to uh cbc cross country and sit on a panel uh that you guys are speaking on so i appreciate you guys coming on the show something that we ask everyone is uh and it's my favorite question to ask what's the worst mistake you see or even have made in sour beer making overall sean why don't we start with you <laughs> Never made a mistake. <laughs> Moving on to Rob. <laughs> uh, I uh, honestly, I it can even be. I, don't know. It's, it's, uh, uh, I made. I, I'm making mistakes for sure, but uh, the worst one. Um, <laughs> well, I'll take a few too. Um, it's all about education. Probably, probably. Uh, if you want to think of it, to you know, produce to produce uh, <laughs> twenty five years ago, a blend with uh, with uh, apples, sour apples, and uh, with oh. with Yvon de Bats from the La Seine. <laughs> and the beer was not so bad, but we we gave uh, we gave to the beer a crazy name. Uh, so in in a cider, so a traditional cider in uh, in French. I call it cidre fermier, so cider from uh, from the farm, mm-hmm. and uh, we gave the, the the name to this beer lambidre, so le, 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 the, the the contraction of lambic and, and cidre lambidre fermier. It was it was totally crazy, <laughs> and uh, the beer was not so bad. But we, we we have some bottle left. I don't know where in the brewery, but uh, it was my first my first ones, if you want. Yeah, but uh, 25, 25 years ago with, uh, with uh, a very, very bad name. <laughs> <laughs> what about it? It's not really a mistake, uh, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> See, I knew it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm searching. If I found one, <laughs> you, you <laughs> Well, I'll ask you, you know, you, a lot of uh, American brewers will make their pilgrimage uh, to your brewery and yeah. bring you their beer to taste. What is, like, a common thread you see in, you know, maybe some of the the newer breweries are just starting out from America. Is there something, a flavor or some process mistake you think they're making along the way? No, but I, I, I think, first of all, uh, that uh, U.S. is, uh, is really the, today the, the leader for, uh, for, for different beer types and include the, 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 the sour, for sure. That's... Uh, we, we receive so so many different uh, sour beers from uh, from US, and um, most of them are quality beers. That's good to hear. More yeah. more than uh, than than some years ago, for sure. Can you That's, trans- uh, translate that from? John? We just got a, a <laughs> scribble on a uh, coaster. Oh, should Bruxelles? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's. <laughs> Well, now you got to tell us. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, th- th- that's a joke. That, that that's a joke. We well, ten, ten, ten years ago, um, we went with friends uh, to the the Mouder Lambic, and um, in, uh, in in this time, uh, it was possible to 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 get for free postcards, and one of those uh, postcards was uh, with uh, Brussels garbage. Brussels sprout, Brussels sprout, and we were a bit drunk. And a friend of mine told me, "You you never use uh, Brussels sprout," and I told him, "I will do it." And <laughs> the week, uh, one week or two weeks later, I made an experiment, very small, twenty thirty liters, uh, a blend of lambic with uh, Brussels sprout. And how was it? 
was a mistake. Uh, uh, if you like Brussels sprouts, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> if you don't like it, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it was uh, it's pro- it was probably the worst beer I produced. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but but tasted tasted Brussels sprout. Yeah, for sure. We just yeah. we call that interesting. But beer. yeah, in- it interesting, was interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You See, all this time, I thought he was saying Lembe. Russell's proud. <laughs> it's proud. <laughs> I got it. Oh, I got it. The funny thing is, right before I got I thought I recognized Lembe. that name. I saw a bottle of it on Shoot. eBay. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, it's the same than the Lambidre. Those bottles are somewhere in the brewery. I, mean, not, I don't know where exactly. Uh, but it's... Uh, no, it's, it's... That's a real joke. I, I, I call this beer the... the 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 final Zwans, uh, you you know the Zwans beer, mm-hmm. Zwans yes. is, uh, so I produce Zwans each year, and uh, yeah, it's that that's the the, the best Zwans I, I could make, but only for the name, not for the the beer quality. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. How about let's go around the table, Rob? Right, can you think of something, Jason? Biggest mistake in sour beer making. Could be one. I mean, we've had plenty of problems. Just Matina <laughs> Rosa, the whole first batch of Matina Rosa, which is sitting right over there, was a problem. Yeah, we've had plenty of re-fermentation issues, that's for sure, with beers that didn't re-ferment all the way. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it. the one thing that I, I tell uh, people who are just getting into it is you got to go into making funky beers with the expectation that you're going to dump a, a fair amount of beer. And I think that the mistakes that I've tasted in other people's beers, who knows where they come from, but, um, you know, you got to go. Part of, the, part of the process of making these beers is choosing the right beers in the end. So, mm-hmm. you know, we often say, you know, with spontaneous beer or wild production, uh, wild be- uh, barrel beers, you know, we control everything we can control, and then the blending kind of is the piece that brings it all together at the end. Because there's a fair amount that you can't control when you're aging beer in a barrel and certainly when you're spontaneously fermenting. So you've got to uh, kind of go into the expectation that some of that beer is going to get dumped. Um, and so, you know, I think that there are certainly some beer, people who go out there and, and they're making these beers and they've invested money into, in them and they feel pressure to put it in a bottle to pay the bills. But uh, you kind of got to go in it from the get-go that that's, you're not going to get every, every, bit of, every drop of that beer you make. And you think that goes for homebrewers too, that, you, you know, you shouldn't try and eh, you know, pitch Brett, you know, for a lack of a better whatever. It, it's, is it, it's ever worth experimenting on or you should be dumping it as a homebrewer too and moving on? I think it's a little bit of a different situation there because you know if you're a homebrewer, you just you're drinking it yourself with a few friends and you can talk about it. And, and but I'm more talking about if you're putting your your beer in a bottle and putting right. it on a shelf and expecting somebody to pay a decent price for it. Right. Um, you know, one, they're probably not going to buy your beer again, and two, it's not doing any of us any favors if there's uh, you know some pretty aggressive acidities, you know, high levels of Acetobacter, et cetera, out there. That's more, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yeah. And homebrewers don't have the as many barrels to pick from and you know we've got to to make the blend as well so we can we can blend a lot more easily as professional brewers just because we've got a whole barrel room to work from so and i know in my early homebrew days i drank some pretty horrible beer that i made (laughs) just because i made it yeah that's a little different than selling it yeah and we should say the the second batch of this beer, Matina Rosa, that ca- just came out, right? This was it this past weekend. Just came out. Oh my god! Yeah, this beer is drinking really nice. We just just poured it. it. It's amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole uh, I wasn't I wasn't paid as much attention as I should have because I was pouring this martini. I don't know if Jason told the story, but the first time we made this beer five or so years ago, we bottled a bunch of it. Uh, it was I th- want to say it was the first beer we'd ever bottled in these split champagne bottles, which we paid a lot of money for, and. About a third of the bottles, 20% of the bottles, they just didn't re-ferment in the bottle. And we've, we've got a bunch of guesses as to why, and it's kind of neither here nor there, I guess, now. But we didn't sell the entire batch. And it, it hurt mm-hmm. after t- taking two, two and a half years to make a beer and then bottling it in these uh, split champagne bottles to just not be able to sell it. And, of course, we had told people it was going to come out on a certain date, and we had to say... You know, sorry, it's just not coming out. Oh, man. And then it took us another five years to come out with the next batch. Wow. The farther you go along, the harder it gets, you know. Mm-hmm. Bad brew day, down the drain, that's the easiest labeled bottle that you just blended and you love it. And 90% of it's good. That's, I mean, that's a great, great takeaway for the people listening. You know, that you guys went all the way and you still had the... The, the mind on quality to say, you know what, this isn't fully representative of what, what we think our sour beers can be. That's it, great. The funny thing is, too, I just thought of this. We we now have an instrument we just bought that could have tested the carbonation in the bottles mm. without piercing the bottle. Still have it's the bottle. It's a bottles? new high-tech piece of equipment that will tell us carbonation with literally a laser beam going through the bottle that says the carbonation. Cool. <laughs> so, But back in those days... We would have had to peer, we would have had to destroy the <laughs> bottle to determine whether it was one of the bottles that came up to carbonation or not. Wow. You need a time machine. That's we right. need that's a, it. That's a good idea. I'm telling you. We should work on one of those. Vinny, <laughs> do you have a, maybe a common mistake you see in some troubleshooting at oh, our beer makers? I'm just going to give some experiences. Um, we have several. So, um, but one one thing I would say to any one that's doing funky beer is when you empty the barrels. Get them filled as quick as possible. That to me is is I think like one of the base rules of funky beer. So and and that's easy for us to say because we're in the middle of wine country. I'm <laughs> chucking barrels that we've only used a few times, and I can go get fresh barrels. And you know we've got wineries that call us now and say, hey, we've got Brett in our barrels. We'll give you these barrels. So, but we had we've had some some funny situations. Temptation, the second or third batch, we. Um, carbonated it and i'd blended in some other beer to bring up the acidity or bring it down and it was over carbonate or it ended up over carbonating the bottles and um every bottle we had like 100 cases of it so it wasn't a lot but it was still enough at the time 100 to 300 cases so you took the cork out and it just shot up it foamed everywhere so we went through every bottle and we would chill 10 cases at a time. Travis, this is another story Travis was a part of, along with Jeff Jones, one of our bartenders. We cut off the wire hood. Then we would uh, pull the cork, and it would just start to foam up. And just when it was about to foam over, we'd push the cork back in, and we'd do this to every bottle. We did it to every bottle four times. So as it would, it would foam up, and then we'd put the cases back in the cold box for 24 hours, and then we'd pull them out the next day and do it again. And then we put them in the cold box and do it again four times. And then finally on the last time, we, uh, we uh, put the, a wire hood back on, and we finally sold the temptation that way. That's so, commitment to the crowd. It was, yeah. It was, it was stupid. Um, <laughs> and how but, did it turn out? Oh, it ended up fine in the end, but it was the same thing that, that, you know, that Rob was talking about that you couldn't, or Jason was saying, you can't sell a beer that, you know, isn't right. 
um, compunction. The first time we we did that, we uh, pluots, right? That's with pluots. Yeah, we we bottled it and it looked hazy. I thought, oh, it's just yeast. Well, it was just all kinds of fruit pectin. Mm. We came back to it two months later, and there was like you know several inches of sediment in the bottle. <laughs> so we ended up popping all of those and just dumping them into a uh, a bright tank. We jacked a bunch of CO two through the beer to scrub any oxygen out, and that's why Compunction has never been bottled. It's a draft only beer now. Wow. That's the reason why. There you go. So, um, you know, it, those are the mistakes you make. And you know, now there's books on these things. You know, I mean, there's like several books that that you can buy to learn about these process. But when I started doing it, there wasn't anything. You you had to go to to Europe and meet you know jean or his, his family or see other funky yeah, but brewers even, um, just about a, a mistake we it was in the i think early 90s um so in those time where always difficult time for Olympic. so uh, uh, financially it was not easy for the for the canton the canton brewery and uh, i remember with with my father we we made a blend uh and we decided to use a barrel with a, a woody flavor. So uh, some time to time, some barrels are giving bad, bad flavor. And uh, normally, the best way is uh, to uh, to throw up the beer and to uh, uh, certainly to, to n- not use it. But there, uh, yeah, it was a question of uh, of money. We did it. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we found back those r- bad flavor in all the blend. Mm. And so, uh, in place of uh, lose uh, 200 liters, we lost 2,000 liters. Ooh. So it's. Uh, but it was it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. Well, just that story just reminded me. Speaking of a long time ago, we had a, a listener question we got in. Uh, and we deba- debated a little bit if it was appropriate, and Vinny and I started to talk about it. And it was about uh, back sweetening of beer, and uh, we decided it may be a good opportunity to just bring up and sort of get a little more of the the history of Cantillon when Cantillon, you know, wasn't the beer it is today. Maybe it was what thirty five years ago. I was I was telling them about the <coughs> bottle you, you we we drank, and uh, then you get, sent Natalie and I home. I think it was like a thirty year old bottle. I think. And you talked about your dad. It was a beer from the 70s, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You talked about it was a period uh, when when you transitioned, when your dad transitioned from... Uh, So my... Yeah, my my father uh, took the brewery over in uh, 68, uh, 68, 69. And so he he arrived in, in the brewery during the... The worst period for uh, for Lambic because the the most difficult time were the the 70s and the 80s, and um, to try to save the brewery because uh, uh, in the 60s, in fact, the the sweet Lambic, the the fake the fake Lambic uh, arrived on the on the market, and uh, during three years, my father used uh, saccharin. To sweet uh, oh, the, yeah. the 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 lambic, really? Yeah, uh, during uh, the from seventy six to seventy nine, just I think. to try to compete. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But with traditional lambic, as I as I say, we never betrayed our beer. So uh, it's we 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 always produce a traditional lambic. But uh, the only way to sweet it was to work with uh, saccharin or aspart- aspartum, 
and my father used uh, used saccharin during uh, during three years. And finally, uh, after three years, no no one no difference between uh, the, the sweet one for the selling between the sweet one of the the, the traditional one, and we, we we stopped. But during during uh, three seasons, we use we use saccharin in uh, in the Cantillon. He, he must have hated doing that. Did he just hate it? Y- yes, but uh, it was for for him when 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 it's not going as you want. Yeah, uh, you got to do what you got to do. You, you have to to do something. You sure. have to react, and it was the because the 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 the, the sweet beer had a so so huge success. So it was for him in this time. It's the only way. The only way to try to save the brewery. Sure, it was survival. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And in '78, finally, uh, he had this. Great idea to to open the, the the brewery and to uh, to to make a museum, the Brussels Goose Museum, and finally, if uh, if Cantillon is still in activity today, it's certainly due to the to the museum. It's the the, the tourism who saved the the brewery and who saved the lambic in Brussels because uh, without without the museum, uh, the Brussels, the the, the lambic city. Uh, would cer- should certainly have no more lambic brewery on uh, in the in the city. Certainly not. Jean, I'm, I'm such a fan of Cantillon that hearing you tell that story about back sweetening uh, one of your beers, it sounds to me it like was, that it was for the goose. They, we we, we did the, it. We did it only for the goose, not for the fruit beers. Just okay. Yeah. It still sounds like the American hiker story whose arm got caught under a boulder and he cut it off yeah. himself just so he could live. <laughs> Like that's what your dad was survival. doing. This this brewery survival. must survive, yeah. and I'm now going to chop off my arm to to just try to make it happen. Right. The first time I went to Cantillon, I I couldn't find it um, because I uh, at that time you still weren't as popular as you are now, um, even in Brussels. And there was no GPS. But, and there was no GPS. <laughs> and finally, a cab driver said to me. Uh, Oh, you mean the museum? Are you talking about the brewery museum? And I said, I, I guess. I, I don't know. And he said, yeah, it's like two blocks. It's right there. Yeah. And, and it was then that I realized that that is what saved your, your brewery. Yeah. You know. it's, today, we have, we have a lot of success. Uh, today, this, this success uh, is due to my parents. Without, without them, no more brewery. No more Cantillon. That's for sure. They, they, they fight during 20, 30 years. They never... Give up, never. So because they had the passion, what's yeah. appropriate? And, and, uh, so it's necessary. I have also the lambic passion, but I don't have to fight as they did, because believe me, the seventies. I was young. I was a kid. Uh, the seventies and the eighties were very, very difficult time. Yeah, and today, yes, it's everything is different. Uh, so we have we have uh, people people are are are, are giving uh, uh, so so much thing uh, to the to, to the brewery because they are because they are coming because because we receive so so much uh, uh, greetings uh, for for our beers. But if you can imagine, thirty years ago, no one liked a sour beer. No one. It yeah. was it was probably the worst beer on earth, mm. uh, and. To today, it's totally different. Was it being exported at all in the seventies? I know that's no, a big no, part no, of your no, business. No, 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 so no, no, just no. in Belgium, the first, yeah, and even just, then, no just one. in Belgium, even just just in Brussels. So uh, because because lambic was was the, the the most popular beer in the city, and 
thanks God, we, we continue to, to work with, uh, with some mainly old people uh, who, who like the beer because they, 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 they drink such a beer since, uh, since a while. And uh, without, without those, those, those people, uh, yeah, it, it, it will be totally impossible to survive. Yeah. Impossible. So uh, we decreased the, the production uh, to, uh, I think, the lowest uh, period was six brews. So wow. it means, it means uh, three, 300 hectoliters, less than 300. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's nothing. That's nothing. Uh, and, yeah, it's even, even for me today, I am always impressed about, about the, 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 the success. It's uh, time to time. I I I don't understand it. It's 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 very difficult to explain. And uh, and I, I say it always. It's due to the American market. It's uh, the the renewal for saw beers is coming from US. No, if uh, in Belgium, uh, Belgians, young Belgians, rebegins to drink lambic. It's because they have uh, a look on internet, and yeah, a lot of people, foreigners, mo- mainly American, uh, like those type of beer, uh, are looking for those type of beer, and so the question is, what did they like? So we will try it. And if if Cantillon and if Lambic have uh, have uh, this success today, it's certainly due to the to the, the foreigners co- consumers and uh, to the, the, the American uh, consumers, yeah. Well, luckily, you guys did stick with it through the tough times because arguably, if you didn't, then a lot of us U.S. Yeah. brewers would have maybe never even been exposed to these beers yeah. and you wouldn't have seen the resurgence here in the U.S. Yeah, I'll piggyback onto yeah. that. Yeah. You know, it was you guys who inspired us and, you know, through you guys, Cantillon, and the fact that we're even having a podcast, I know you probably couldn't imagine a podcast 35 years ago, but <laughs> a podcast that's just about sour beer and the fact that we can sit here with the godfathers of sour beer and, you know, sit together and enjoy all your beers on the table is just, I, I'm personally blown away by it. And, you know, you say maybe the resurgence of Cantillon was due to the American market. I think the reason the American market responded to Cantillon is because of your commitment to quality and yeah. your your perseverance and the excellence. Ah, it's uh, it's that that's one of our great uh, great proud. We we never betray our beer. So we are producing lambic since more than one century. Always in the same way with the same materials, same raw materials. Uh, that's also why we are producing uh, everything in the organic way. So since ninety nine, all the ma- all the the raw materials are coming from uh, the organic market. Uh, and it's we do it for the beer and for the for for, for the beer quality. Uh, so no, there is on the market new spontaneous fermentation beer, but uh, I think that we can admit that lambic is probably the most natural beer in the world. Uh, so we are doing everything for for our product, and uh, it's it's for me a bit a bit difficult al- also today to see which which prices. Uh, some uh, some brewer uh, asked for uh, for their beers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's lambic was was a, a beer very very popular in uh, in Brussels and uh, yeah no some 
some people are asking so much for uh, for a goose that um, I'm not sure it's the the best way to uh, to promote to promote such a beer. That that's why Cantillon try to 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 sell the beers to a correct price mm -hmm. and to try to uh, to give the possibility to the majority to 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 to, to taste and to enjoy such a beer. Well, all of your guys' beers are certainly worth their weight in gold. Amazing stuff we've been able to taste tonight. Um, it's like I said, it's a huge privilege to be here with all of you. Thank you, Vinny, so much for hosting us. Thank you guys for making Thanks this for amazing out. beer. Thank you, Vinny. Thanks. And Thank you all. I think Thanks appropriate that we end on you know the the struggle that your parents went through to keep it alive. And Vinny, you said before, you know we're enjoying a beer. I think blended on Father's Day and now enjoyed on the week of Mother's Day weekend. It is. Mother's Day weekend. Well, I'm, I'm glad you guys here. reminded me. <laughs> I would have been in trouble. <laughs> and I think uh, with that, I think we should uh, probably wrap up. I think some people have some dinner reservations to get to. Um, Gentlemen, thank you for sharing the beers on this table. All of them are just outstanding. Nice. Mind-blowing. I can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming up to Santa Rosa, guys. Our pleasure. That was an awesome time. Thank you to Vinny. Thank you to Jason, Rob, and John. Thank you. For coming so far. Yeah, thanks to Natalie for really setting yes. us up. Because she yes. was really Natalie. the backbone. As she, she is ruled. the backbone of Russian River. And thank you guys for listening. Hopefully, you know, you guys are out there listening, inspired to go try out some spontaneous beer, but be certain to try it in the right way. Respect the people who are making these beers who come before you because they're absolutely phenomenal. So that's it for yeah. Scott, Justin, and I. This has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network.